This is a LibriVox recording, and all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Stefan Mobius. The Island of Dr. Moreau, Chapter 8, The Crying of the Puma Montgomery interrupted my tangle of mystification and suspicion about one o'clock, and his grotesque attendant followed him with a tray bearing bread, some herbs and other eatables, a flask of whisky, a jug of water and three glasses, and knives. I glanced askance at this strange creature, and found him watching me with his queer, restless eyes. Montgomery said he would lunch with me, but that Moreau was too preoccupied with some work to come. Moreau, said I, I know that name. The devil you do, said he. What an ass I was to mention it to you, I might have thought. Anyhow, it will give you an inkling of our mysteries. Whiskey? No thanks, I'm an abstainer. I wish I'd been. But it's no use locking the door after the steed is stolen. It was that infernal stuff that led to my coming here. That and a foggy night. I thought myself in luck at the time, when Moreau offered to get me off. It's queer. Montgomery, said I, suddenly, as the outer door closed. Why has your man pointed ears? Damn, he said, over his first mouthful of food. He stared at me for a moment, and then repeated. Pointed ears? Little points to them, said I, as calmly as possible, with a catch in my breath. And a fine black fur at the edges. He helped himself to whiskey and water with great deliberation. I was under the impression that his hair covered his ears. I saw them as he stood by me to put that coffee you sent me on the table, and his eyes shine in the dark. But this time Montgomery had recovered from the surprise of my question. I always thought, he said deliberately, with a certain accentuation of his flavoring of lisp, that there was something the matter with his ears from the way he covered them. What were they like? I was persuaded from his manner that this ignorance was a pretense. Still I could hardly tell the man that I thought him a liar. Pointed, I said, rather small and furry, distinctly furry. But the whole man is one of the strangest beings I have ever set eyes on. A sharp, hoarse cry of animal pain came from the enclosure behind us. Its depth and volume testified to the puma. I saw Montgomery wince. Yes, he said. Where did you pick up the creature? San Francisco. He's an ugly brute, I admit. Half-witted, you know. Can't remember where he came from. But I'm used to him, you know. We both are. How does he strike you? He's unnatural, I said. There's something about him. Don't think me fanciful. But it gives me a nasty little sensation, a tightening of my muscles when he comes near me. It's a touch of the diabolical, in fact. Montgomery had stopped eating while I told him this. Rum, he said. I can't see it, he resumed his meal. I had no idea of it, he said, and masticated. The crew of the Shona must have felt it the same, made a dead set at the poor devil. You saw the captain? 
Suddenly the puma howled again, this time more painfully. Montgomery swore under his breath. I had half a mind to attack him about the man on the beach. Then the poor brute within gave vent to a series of short, sharp cries. Your men on the beach, said I. What race are they? Excellent fellows, aren't they? said he, absent-mindedly, knitting his brows as the animal yelled out sharply. I said no more. There was another outcry worse than the former. He looked at me with his dull grey eyes, and then took some more whisky. He tried to draw me into a discussion about alcohol, professing to have saved my life with it. He seemed anxious to lay stress on the fact that I owned my life to him. I answered him distractedly. Presently our meal came to an end. The misshapen monster with the pointed ears cleared the remains away, and Montgomery left me alone in the room again. All the time he had been in a state of ill-concealed irritation at the noise of the vivisected puma. He had spoken of his odd want of nerve and left me to the obvious application. I found myself that the cries were singularly irritating, and they grew in depth and intensity as the afternoon wore on. They were painful at first, but their constant resurgence at last altogether upset my balance. I flung aside a crib of Horace I had been reading and began to clench my fists, to bite my lips and to pace the room. Presently I got to stopping my ears with my fingers. The emotional appeal of those yells grew upon me steadily, grew at last to such an exquisite expression of suffering that I could stand it in that confined room no longer. I stepped out of the door into the slumberous heat of the late afternoon and walking past the main entrance, locked again, I noticed, turned the corner of the wall. The crying sounded even louder out of doors. It was as if all the pain in the world had found a voice. Yet, had I known such pain was in the next room, and had it been dumb, I believe, I have thought since I, I could have stood it well enough. It is when suffering finds a voice and sets our nerves quivering that this pity comes troubling us. But in spite of the brilliant sunlight and the green fans of the trees wavering in the soothing sea-breeze, the world was a confusion, blurred with drifting black and red phantasms, until I was out of earshot of the house in the checkered wall. End of chapter 8